Welcome to More to Come, P.W. Comic World's weekly podcast on graphic novel and comics publishing. Recorded at the P.W. offices in New York City, I'm Calvin Reed, Senior News Editor of Publishers Weekly, Editor of P.W. Comics World, and Editor of the Fanatic P.W.'s Comics and Pop Culture Newsletter. Check us out online at publishersweekly.com slash comics. And I'm Heidi McDonald. I'm the Editor-in-Chief of The Beat at comicsbeat.com. And you can check us out on Twitter at at P.W. Comics World. And I'm Kate Fitzsimmons. I'm the podcast producer. And you can find us on t- online on Tumblr at pwcomicsworld.tumblr.com. And don't forget, you can subscribe to More to Come on iTunes. And on social media, we're at facebook.com slash pwcomicsworld. And also don't forget, if you like what you're hearing, please let us know. Send us a message. Leave us a rating on iTunes. Or, um, you know, just give us a shout out. And don't forget, if you like what you're hearing, leave us a message. Uh, go on iTunes, give us a rating, give us a comment, uh, email us, uh, tweet at us, Facebook at us. Just let us know. We love to hear from our listeners. We're social beings, so yes. talk to us. Thanks. And, you know, it's no wonder that we kind of messed up the intro, because how long has it been since we were all together? It's, it's like, been a while. Did we do it? I think we even joked that we wouldn't be together this year. I guess we did it at the start of the year. That's right. It was like January 2nd, yeah, and I here think, it is, February. I think I took off the end of January. 13th. Yes. So, so, yeah, it's been six weeks, so yeah, it's been a it's been long a time. Wow. All right. Well, you know what? We're back together again. All right. Uh, this week on More to Come, the travels of Calvin and Heidi. How about that? Um, uh, ALA, the Brussels, Angoulême, Bologna. And also now, DC Generation 1 launches. Uh, bad idea. Um, the Marvel and 10 Speed Trade List. And I think there may be some movies. Uh, maybe well. uh, yeah. Harley Quinn and Birds of Prey. There you go. Yeah. All right. So see, we're we're a little off our game. Yeah, but we'll get back. We'll, yeah, yeah, we will like quickly. It is. It uh, is. Well, you know what? Why don't I kick off with my travels? So yes, because we're going to do this chronologically. There's so much to talk about. But Calvin, you were the first to board a train, and <laughs> yes, you were it's... off at Philadelphia, I right? Was in Philly for ALA, uh, this American Library Association Midwinter Meeting. In Philadelphia, um, uh, actually, my first time actually in the uh, convention center there. Uh, I mean, really, the exhibition floor. I'm on the Freedom to Read Foundation Board of Trustees, so a lot of my time there is really uh, taken up with board, uh, doing board meetings and uh, planning some projects that we're working on. But, see, I got a chance to talk with Amy Wright, um, president of the Graphic Novel Roundtable, uh, also with Trish Col- uh, um uh, Tina Coleman, sorry, uh, Tina, um, because I'm trying to work on a project that I will talk some more about later, not right now. Uh, but really, one of the great things to come out of the um, ALA Midwinter is uh, the announcement of the awards. In particular, this year, the Newbery Award um, won by Jerry Craft. Um, uh, uh, I think Jerry's name says it all. Uh, yeah, but it's, I mean, this is, uh, I was in France when we had the news, actually, or Germany or somewhere, and uh, this is the first graphic novel to win the Newbery yes. Award. I mean, this is seismic. I mean, this is Calvin. And yes. for it to be him. Yeah. I mean, yes. such points to him. This goes out to the what's considered the best children's book yes. of the year. Um, uh, it's the first graphic novel to win it. Uh, he's the first African-American uh, to win it. Um, the first African-American? No, 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 no. he's not. It, um, he also won alongside Kadir Nelson, who won right. the Caldecott, and I think that's the first ah. time it's been paired right. in that way. Excuse my mistake. 
Kadir Nelson, a fabulous illustrator also. Um, and, uh, well, look, I, I'll, I'll point you to our podcast number 360, mm-hmm. which is about an hour of us talking with Jerry. <laughs> right. Okay, Previous guest on the podcast, uh, all about the new kid. His um, his middle age, uh, middle age, his middle grade. Gra- we have been away for a while. Yeah, we have, man. We his are. middle grade graphic novel, uh, really a, a compilation of his experiences and his uh, his two boys, who uh, went from an urban situation to a very prestigious uh, private school and had to learn to adjust uh, both to their blackness, uh, moving into a white school and. It's both an entertaining read and a very instructional read about uh, the experiences that he faced, how he overcame them, uh, and it's and it's kind of the perfect book for the, the period that we live in. Today. Yeah, but I I, I mean, uh, who is the publisher of this? Harper Collins. Harper Collins. That's yeah. right. And uh, but I mean, Calvin. I mean, what do you think? I mean, we were talking about uh, you know on my trips of what I'll get to, but I mean, you know, could you? When we started doing this, I mean, we talk on this podcast so much about, you know, our visions, our dreams, our hopes, our fears that we had 15 years ago when we started. I mean, was this ever something that you thought you know, this could is happen? What we aspire to. Yeah. I mean, you know, I, I, we talk about this all the time, and I say we're, we're living in the future that we imagined. Yes, yes. You know, 20 years ago, <laughs> yeah. if not more. Uh, I mean, to me, this is the equivalent of, you know, March winning, you know, the National Book Award in young people's literature. Um, these are things that were. You know, I mean, you knew we would get there one day, but, you know, I I remember uh, actually a former executive director of the uh, National Book Foundation, which oversees the National Book Awards, saying in jest, but supportively, that he was jesting, that, you know, Harold Bloom would have to write a graphic novel (laughs) to get an award. Uh, And, uh, but I mean, I, I was happy, and so was he, as a matter of fact, he was joking, Uh, although he was only partially joking Mm -hmm. when he said it. Uh, that this is the future that we were all, we've yeah. all been waiting for, um, because we're seeing it, and in some of my reports, uh, but later about Bologna, we'll see, we're seeing it on the business side, we're seeing it on the art side, we're seeing it on the cultural appreciation side. What was the? I mean, were there any react? I mean, you were there when it was announced, right? Yeah, you were. At I was the- there, but you know, I really wasn't in the right. midst of that. Okay. You know, I kind yeah. of heard it through the grapevine. Right. And I had to run off. To I mean, what was the reaction? What was the reaction? The reaction about? all around has been incredible. Uh, you know, I immediately uh, emailed uh, Jerry just to talk with him and his agent, uh, Judy Hanson, That's right. friend of the show. That's right. Um, look, this is, it's uh, just, he's on a magical carpet ride. Mm. Uh, because I think we know, if we if you don't know about Jerry, this is the guy who would never give up. He loved he's comics. He's been in there working comics. hard at it for so Absolutely. long. He yeah. was a self-publisher yeah. before it was I cool. mean, he's been in Artist Alley. You know, he's Absolutely. one of these guys that you see in Artist Alley years for years, and he's always, you know, positive, optimistic, or just in there believing he in there. He was one of the few syndicated black mm-hmm. comic strips, yeah. national syndication. Um, you know, he is, he's, he illustrated and created himself over 30 graphic novels, uh, illustrated kids books, illustrated novels for kids. Uh, he wrote a wonderful, uh, a middle grade prose novel, The mm. Offenders, uh, a couple of years ago. That's right. Uh, he's done it all. He works incredibly hard. Uh, um, no one deserves, as I said, his name says it all. Yeah. He's, he works the craft. So congratulations to Jerry Craft. Yeah, absolutely. You earned it, buddy. Yeah. And I mean, it's just, but I mean, it is just the latest. I mean, what's left? (laughs) Well, I mean, this is not just what you were dreaming to happen, but this is someone 
that you would have most dreamed it would happen yeah. for. Sure, yeah. Absolutely, yeah. Yeah, because uh, he just works hard, you know, to get better. I don't mean, to, but the book, yeah. I, I mean, is the culmination. I mean, it, you know, this is not any, uh, you know, charity case. I mean, this is a no, really... No, in, no I, I, but I mean, it's, it's like, you know, it's not like they picked, like, a, you know, a comic because it was a comic. I mean, this is a really in-depth, wonderful book that oh, yeah. really covers, like, goes in, you know, as we know, comics can. So, yeah, yeah it's a it's a, it's a real triumph, and, you know, congrats to, to Jerry. It's just, wow. So, uh, yeah, so yeah, Calvin... And, so yeah, that, and I'll and just he, say very quickly, yeah. you walk the floor to... I mean, it's always great to walk the floor of ALA, whether you see who's there. Uh, I was interested to see DC there. Um, um, uh, Workman's there, who's actually thinking about adding more graphic novels. This is a theme that we, on this show, all the time. Yeah. Uh, so, um, yeah, I got a chance to walk the floor to see what publishers are doing, see what the librarians are looking at as far as comics are concerned. Yeah. So. Yeah. So, well, so Calvin, let's see. So that would have been, um, yes, I remember Kate and I recorded, and I'm trying to re- retrace my steps in my mind. So meanwhile, while Calvin was going to Philadelphia, I was going to Cologne, Germany, and uh, for a whirlwind 10-day tour of Europe, Angoulême, uh, it was four cities in six days, I guess. Uh, it Not was bad. really a whirlwind. I was traveling with Deb Aoki and Karen Green and Ronald Wimberly. Talk uh, about birds of prey. I mean, talk oh, about oh, you oh, couldn't baby. have a better, you know, traveling <laughs> companions. I mean, wow. Not bad. Yeah, but uh, I and uh, just a little tiny plug. I'm not going to go into too much detail because you know what? I have another podcast that I do, but only when I travel. That's called like Three Women in a Hotel Room, and I will say we did four episodes, and in each episode we had guest stars who talked about the uh a lot about what the details of what we did deb had an incredible encounter with Yoshiharu uh, Suga, the great Japanese oh, yeah. mangaka. Oh, but anyway, I, I, I'm going to go over this. But if anything catches your interest, I, I would plug my other my other. Yeah. Um, the Suga's works are being yeah. started to be published. Yeah, 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 yeah. But yes, I'll plug great. my other podcast just because it really Excellent. drills down and goes into depth. But anyway, uh, the reason why we went to Colin was because we wanted to go to uh, Brule, a suburb of Cologne, which is Cologne, by the way. That's uh, what the natives call it. I found out. Um, <laughs> Where they had a Mobius exhibit at the Max Ernst Museum. So this was like, uh, the first big exhibit of Mobius's art since, uh, for quite a while because there has been quite a bit of controversy yes. amongst his family and yes. who has the art and who owns the rights to the art and where it is. Anyway, so this is a beautiful museum that's given over to Max Ernst. Uh, we had, you know, thanks to the magic of Karen Green, who is the comics librarian at Columbia University, she was able to hook us up with all the the movers and shakers everywhere we went. So we got a personal tour from the curator of the exhibit, and uh, which was amazing. And um, you know, Mobius is, of course. Um, rightfully hailed as one of the greats of comics, and they had uh, they had a lot of his artwork from different periods of his work. They had some of his early uh, Jean Giraud, like Lieutenant Blueberry stuff. They had some of his kind of abstract work that he was doing when he was doing uh, movie designs, uh, such as working on Alien and, of course, Tron. Nothing from uh, Tron. Now that would have made my 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 year, my decade. But uh, it was it was incredible. It was incredible to see the art. And apparently, there are several big Mobius exhibits uh, in the works. So he's coming back. And, uh, so, you know, there might be them coming here to the United States, but, uh, we made the trek all the way out to Brule 
and it was uh, amazing. So it looks like Mobius is out of Wright's hell? Well, uh, or at least sufficient that they can get it to exhibits? So without being too harsh, uh, probably uh, his various families uh, have probably decided that there's more money in letting his work be seen than not be seen. So uh, I would say that's probably... That would be good. Yeah. That would be good. Yeah, that would would be good. They had some of his uh, stuff from Adina, some of his later work where he Uh really, he's a star in his own work, has more introspective stuff, but... um, you know, he had an incredible imagination. I mean, just a visionary. Uh, there's really yeah. very few artists in comics that are even his, you know, yeah. I mean, he's just one of the top visionaries ever in comics. He just well, saw I mean, the world. Comics or in art world. in general. Yeah. Like, mm-hmm. he's, he doesn't come along every day. No. Yeah, like no, that. No, no. No. And, uh, you know, the, the other permanent exhibit at this museum is Max Ernst, who's an, another surrealist. And it's interesting to see, you know, they both went to the desert. And both got very influenced by that. Uh, you know, artists love the American West. There's something about it that really inspires people. So it was, it was interesting comparing and contrasting. So, um, so yes, uh, Mobius in, in Brule. So, uh, after our trip to Cologne and Brule, oh, by the way, the, the Cathedral of Cologne is absolutely uh-huh. incredible, which, you know, the Americans didn't blow it up, which is really great during World War II. Uh, you know, but. And it didn't get robbed, unlike Dresden. Yes, exactly. Uh, so, uh, that alone was worth the trip. Uh, then we, uh, j- uh, trained on down to Brussels, the heart of the Franco-Belgian comics tradition. Uh, they have a museum there of Franco-Belgian comics art, and once again, the director of marketing. Uh, you know, I'm gonna look up his name while we're talking, cause I, I, I really should give him a shout out. But, uh, you know, we got a tour, and if you are, uh, William DeGrave, uh, the director of marketing for the museum. And if you happen to be in Brussels, this is a must-do. I mean, the, you know, just, floor after floor and it's in this beautiful building that's designed by the guy who's the the father of Beaux-Arts architecture um and uh you know they have a lot of process i mean there's nothing even vaguely like this in the united states you know they they have like this whole displays showing the process of art and just different genres and a huge section on the smurfs and a huge section on tintin and yeah okay <laughs> They're good for the big exhibitions. <laughs> yeah, they are. But I mean, this is a permanent. It's a permanent, yeah, um, a permanent museum, museum. Mm-hmm. and um, you know, it's right. it's well worth the trip. All right. Well, um, um, while you were in, I guess it was roughly the same time while you were in uh, France and in, in Angoulême, um, or is that no? Was that a little bit later? Well, then, yeah, okay. Then so I'm, just to finish up yeah. my trip, yeah, sure, go ahead. and then because I think it'll segue into your trip okay. to Bologna because uh, Ivanka Hanenberger, yes. our yeah. friend, another friend of the podcast, is instrumental in both. So, yes. so then uh, on we track to Angoulême. Uh, this is my third time at the Festival International de Bande Dessinée, and I finally got over my uh, shyness about trying to speak French with a French accent. So. Uh, as you might notice, and uh, so, and it was very good. I was able to ask for directions in French. It was a big moment for me. <laughs> uh, but I will say, Calvin, yes, and Kate, uh, the I, I've complained here before about how Angoulême isn't really that international. And let me tell you, this year they it was made more international. It they made huge strides. So then uh-huh. the Wrights tent, they had a 
panels, like three days of panels, and the panels had English translations. Yeah. Like okay. you could like listen on a little thing oh, and okay. get an English translation, just so. like at the yeah. So and they even had some panels in English, and that was they never did that before. That's great. Yeah. yeah. Well, except for. When yeah, I but was there. <laughs> yeah, but but no, no, no. So when you and I were there, but they would just do that one panel. Yeah, yeah and then yeah, if you, yeah. they only did one panel in English, and now they had several yeah, panels. Yeah. yeah, well, that's good. Well, um, that's one panel you don't want to sleep well, through I, if you're an English speaker. My yeah. understanding is that the the, the rights uh, area has grown. It, uh, you know, I hadn't been. And uh, I was there two years ago, and the rights tent was a small tent, and now the rights tent has moved into the tent that used to be the manga tent. And uh-huh. manga has its own city. It's called Manga City. Uh-huh. And so everything has gotten bigger and better at Angulum. And, um, but the yeah. world of comics was in effect. Yeah. And, uh, and, 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 and in large measure to the, the work of our friend Ivanka. Yes. And uh-huh. so Ivanka is the one who started the, the rights fair at uh, Angulum. However, she has moved on, and now she is working with... Bologna, yeah. and that brings us to the travels of Calvin. Yeah, and a, a perfect segue because, indeed, I mean, uh, for those who don't know, we've talked about Ivanka on uh, the podcast before, and um, if you go back in our podcast, uh, the series of panels that she organized um, in 2016. But uh, Ivanka was brought in as a consultant to work with the Bologna Children's Book Book Fair. If you don't know what it is, it's kind of the premier trade convention. For children's publishing in the world, but certainly in Europe, uh, uh, it's thirty thousand professionals, no consumers. It's an all trade show. Mm. It's Book Expo when Book Expo was meant something, <laughs> right? <laughs> but this show is still growing. It's still vibrant, and part of the reason why it's growing and vibrant is that it, they really went all in on adding comics uh, to the to both. Um, their prestigious award. They have a 57-year-old Children's Book Award. Really, it's a series of awards. Uh, they've added comics. Now, it's a permanent category. That's why I was there along with a uh, jury of three other um, uh, really terrific, excellent um, professionals in the comics business. Uh, and we juried the first uh, comic show, and I'll give you the winners in, in just a second. Uh, but they've also added what they call the comics quarter to the exhibition floor. So they're launching uh, with over 30 publishers in its very first year. Uh, I had a talk, uh, in fact, there's a story up on publisherswiki.com slash comics um, uh, about uh, where I interview uh, Elena Pasali, who is the executive director of the uh, Bologna Children's Book Fair, and she talks about how everyone's thrilled. Uh, she called it a miracle that you could <laughs> launch with this many publishers in, a, in what she admitted herself is a very traditional uh, publishing fair, but she says this is happening everywhere in the world. Uh, graphic novels, comics uh, are becoming more and more popular. The quality is increasing, and uh, it literally, she says, we've added this by popular demand. Mm. So that's exciting on the business side. That's a great way to, you know, it's like exciting great on the business pitch. Side. On the, on the uh, aesthetic side, on the comic side, we, uh, the inaugural uh, uh, comics uh, jury, and I'm going to uh, read off their names, we went through 300 submissions Woo! from around the world, uh, and we came up with uh, three winners, uh, early readers, middle grade, uh, and young adult categories. And three special mentions for each one. I'm just going to give you the winners. Okay. The first, I'm going to just say the the, uh, the jury. Uh, uh, besides myself, uh, Rachel Cook, a, a British journalist and critic, uh, Christian Gasser, 
who is um, a Swiss fiction writer and uh, lecturer on on comics, and Emilio Vara, who is who founded the Hamlin Cultural Association, and it's kind of an Italian association that promotes comics, uh, comics exhibitions, and all kinds of events around comics. And so the winners of the inaugural. 2020 Bologna uh, Comics Award the, winners. The Bologna Ragazzi Award. The, excuse me, the Bologna Ragazzi, Ragazzi which is uh, Italian for children. Yes, indeed it is. I thought it was uh, Italian for gift. Uh, mm. No, it, it is for children. Oh, okay. Uh, uh, R. Uh, the early reader is... Now, I will say one thing. Uh, the awards were given a five-year window to encourage oh, publishers. Okay. So every book that went here was not necessarily a 2019 mm. okay. book. Uh, in fact, the winner of the early reader series is written and drawn by Henry Rietta by Linears, mm-hmm. which is actually from 2015, published by Toon Books. A delightful, That's a great book. The middle grade winner is an absolutely charming and hilarious book um, that, that was in French. But you know what? You don't need French to really understand it. Imbatable. Uh, it's about a superhero who has the greatest power ever. He can manipulate the comic book form, the language. <laughs> he can manipulate the panels, the gutters, the word balloons. Uh, and, of course, a panel indicates time. I guess his name is Photoshop, so... Well, it, it could be. I mean, the, the actual translation is, I think, unbeatable or invincible. But uh, it, the, these, this book is hilarious uh, because he uses the panels... So he essentially manipulates time. He can show up in one panel and in the other. Uh, it's a great, great book. And the young adult book is called The Short Elegy by Enimo Chin. Um, it's from Taiwan. Oh, wow. Um, and I should say, the, the uh, submissions were in multiple languages. Um, the other members of the jury, unlike myself, did speak multiple languages. So we worked back and forth with each other. Um, but uh, The Short Elegy is an absolutely drop-dead, gorgeous, wordless graphic novel, which um, allowed us to very easily unite and bring it into, uh, uh, to bring a foreign language comic there, into this. There was a, a big display of uh, comics from Taiwan at uh, Angoulême. Uh-huh. They had a big stand and they had a presentation. And, um, you know, yeah. there's a lot of the, one of the artists there, Pencil Point, is actually in residence at Angoulême. Uh-huh. So, uh-huh. Well, you know, Taiwan is making it some... It's voice heard on well, the international comics. As they should. This book, yeah. The Short Elegy, is, is, is absolutely gorgeous. It's, it's the equivalent of a poem, really. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, the stories uh, sort of meditate on, really, the life of this very ordinary family. In some cases, it's, it's talking about death. But every page is like literally like a painting. So, uh, so that was it. Um, so, uh, Calvin. Yes. Having looked at 300 kids' comics from around the world, yeah. I mean, wow. Yeah. What a perspective on it. I mean, uh, and we know here, I mean, we talk about it every week, how, you know, kids' comics are gangbusters here, but, I mean, what were your thoughts just seeing the the international flow? You know, as much as we saw, I'm really, I mean, I'm not going to be able to do it again, but I, I think it's going to be even more submissions in the coming year, uh, I think, uh, in the coming years. Uh, I think they could have used, you know, I will just say that the uh, the, the French... And the American submissions tended to dominate. Mm-hmm. Uh, the French has completely dominated everybody, of yeah. course. Yeah. Their, their, their industry is huge. But it really was amazing to look at uh, the range of styles, the, the beautiful uh, production, um, and just the incredible diversity of genres 
across right. this, this medium. So, and across the, and, and of course, the books for young people. Um, these are not books for adults. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, to me, once again, um, when we see how comics are flourishing around the world, it's only, it's just exciting and inspirational. So, based on your conversations with the people, uh, running the book fair, you know, with Ivanka as well, I mean, do you think that are, is, are kids comics having the kind of boom or are they already huge? I mean, here in America, obviously, they're kind of booming. I mean, kids have always liked comics. They're you know booming that. in France, but, you know, France is kind of right. out of whack it's got with its everybody. Own, yeah. their, their, their industry is massive. What um, Elena told me was uh, the Bologna Book Fair actually you know, has always had publishers there with comics. They would maybe set a few up on their table, mm-hmm. but there wasn't a focus on it. Uh, and she admitted her, uh, admittedly said many comics publishers don't, don't see us as invi- being inviting to them yeah. so they don't think there's any place for them there uh, this is the whole reasoning for what they've done now with launching the comics corner and la- launching the comics award she says I've already heard from publishers that they're going to be adding comics to their list uh, they're very excited about this and just the reaction and response to the comics corner the, the exhibitors floor uh, to launch with that many publishers, right? She was thrilled. Right. Wow. Well, it's amazing. I mean, I've often said that uh, with children's material, sometimes the humor doesn't translate quite as well. You know, like you'll never get to Tiff, the most popular kids comic in Franco-Belgian uh, French language here, because it's you know would be considered R-rated. <laughs> um, but um, and sometimes know. translations don't work for other reasons mm-hmm. that have things to do with bad translation or things that don't translate well um, or children's publishers that have no faith in children and um, attempt to Americanize or Frenchize or whatever all kinds of details that maybe kids would be fine with and would just find interesting right right yeah so I mean there is like like it doesn't always translate you know like like nobody but Americans likes Dennis the Menace you know but uh, there was another Dennis the Menace in England but anyway this is huge huge news Calvin yeah, and I'll tell you across our uh, special mentions also I mean we there's a graphic novel for, uh, by an Iranian author and you put like uh, you did put Laura Dean on there I mean I just, uh, yes, yes Laura Dean was one of yeah. the special mentions yes, as a matter yes, of fact. so is, we have really a kind of there is, we really worked to sort of get inclusivity and diversity. I think that's something that will improve. Yeah, uh, but they're working toward it, which is points to them. And, yeah. yeah, and as people understand sounds it, like, hey, so, this award is here. Sounds like you were on the Cannes Film Festival so, jury. So you know, in our little version of it, yeah. for sure. Yeah. You know, I wanted to, to talk about one other thing that I saw at uh, Angoulême. And, and, you know, they have these uh, museum-grade exhibits Every year, and the the blockbusters this year were uh, at the Angola Museum. They had two. They had uh, Yoshiharu Suga and um, Wally Wood, and ah, it's very interesting to yeah. compare and contrast these two artists. Now, uh, Suga is like um, the uh, well. I, after hearing Deb Aoki talk about him, I compared him to the JD Salinger of of manga because mm. he wrote. He was part of the Gekika yeah. movement. Mm-hmm. I mean, he knew. Uh, Tatsumi and, and the rest, but his stories were incredibly, incredibly influential and like really blew up, yeah. um, in, in Japan in, in the 70s, uh, the 60s and the 70s. And then in the 80s, about, you know, 35 years ago, he stopped drawing completely. And 
it's not that he's been a complete recluse, but he does not make comics anymore. And so when they had this exhibit, uh, I believe New York Review Books has put out yes, the first one, yeah. and then Drawn Quarterly yeah, is going to be bringing out all of his yeah. his work. Didn't he like be- refuse to have his books translated? He, he did. He didn't. He he sort of like uh, you know it's like Mobius. It's like all of a sudden the dam broke. But they had an, this big um, exhibit of his work and literally did not know if he was going to come yeah. to the exhibit. And then uh, Deb was got invited to come. And so it was like um, the other guest was um, uh, Inio Asano. Uh, oh, so yes, it was yes. him, yes, like Tom Devlin well. from Dr- just the Drone mm-hmm. Quarterly crew. Uh, Suga's son was there. And Suga, you know, this man of 85. Uh, and, uh, you know, I, I, I'm plugging the podcast, but I'm telling you, it's really a very moving story as, as Deb well, told I said it. To listen. Yeah. Where, yeah. uh, where he hadn't seen his artwork and he's like looking at it and touching it and being like, you know, like really moved to see this in the, in the way. And so, but, so, and his work is, uh, very realistic. Uh, some of it's very dark, some of it's very fantastic, but I mean, even, I know a couple of his stories because they are quite famous, but, um, it's really extraordinary work. I can't wait to really dig into all the reprints. Yeah. But then, you know, Wallywood, the great, yeah, another great, the, another great artist, and and you know, his famous the 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 exhibit as curated by Stéphane Bourgeois, the director of the Angoulême Comics Festival, was pretty devastating because it started out with My World, which is the very famous story he did for EC where he's showing the fantasy and what he loves. He says, I love, you know, rocket ships crashing into the fetid jungles and the beautiful women coming out and it's just full of youth and energy. And then the last story is the one, My Word, which he did... um, for Florence uh, Flo Steinberg's Big Apple comics, it's underground, early underground, where it's like pornography and filth and just depression. And, you know, I mean, Wally Wood killed himself. Uh, you know, he was an alcoholic and he drank himself to the point where he picked up a gun and killed himself. And, um, you know, I mean, Suga comparing the two of them is pretty incredible. Like, just you know, one stopped drawing but survived, and and the other couldn't even go on. And uh, it's if you listen to another plug for the next episode of More to Come, I will be talking to Stephen Grant. Uh, the and he's talking about My Name Is Savage, which is this comic that Gil Kane tried to do. And we talk a little bit about Wally Wood and Gil right. Kane and all this kind of publishing that. Uh, cartoonist tried to do in the 60s. Do you and think do you think that maybe some of these artists of that era, either ones who are alive now or ones who aren't, but we can speculate based on what we know of them, would have made more work or been happier with their work in a more open, uh, more varied comics market like it is today so i think they would have been happier like a lot of today's artists are but um i was talking to a good friend in the industry and um i think they would have been less prolific i mean maybe that's good and maybe that's bad i mean if you look at these ec guys i mean they really did just you know sit there and churn out these eight page stories that are you know every panel is like a masterpiece you know um, and for sure, nowadays, no, nobody does that. Yeah. I mean, nobody's prolific anymore. Well, I mean, and also... It's nice to think that they would have more economic options. Yes, absolutely. Yeah. Yes. So, uh, yeah, but uh, they should have gotten paid. Well, yeah, and also, some of that is just what the publishing industry wants. I mean, if your stories are eight page long, you can make more of them. 
Yeah. 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 Ab- absolutely. Yeah. And um, yeah. I. I mean, yes. The short answer is uh, is yes because they were fighting for it. You know. I mean, Wally Wood went and published Wits End and. Um, you, you know, the undergrounds, again, you know, Stephen Grant and I are talking about, you know, the rise of the undergrounds and how people who are more mainstream like Wally Wood and Gil Kane were trying to also ride the coattails of that. And, but it was a tough nut to crack at the time. The distribution model wasn't there. And, um, and then of course, you know, the head shop, uh, distribution mm-hmm. channel, uh, collapsed because of, uh, you know, legal issues. But um, I mean, whatever you complaints you might have had about the the work for hire world of the mainstream comics of the time, I mean the underground world was had to be tough for them to navigate, even if it offered them creative freedoms. I guess I mean you know I don't know what the you know yeah. I don't know the what finances the, the finances, the finances of, of, of that pretty I yeah mean, from what I read were yeah. pretty up and down all over the place yeah um, but at first they were selling. Yeah, like millions. Yeah, they, they, they sold. were selling. They sold, well, sold, not but, but whether the money got back to the people who made it—that's yeah. the question. Yeah, but I mean, yeah. there there was only one degree of separation. I mean, yeah, you know, yeah. it was like Ron Turner and yeah, that, well, you know, that's true too. I mean, yeah. he was doing it all. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, you know, I mean, it was just this guy and and you know who was publishing and Dennis Kitchen. I mean, yeah, right. you know, yeah. I don't. I, I mean, there are books about this. So yeah. so anyway, it piqued my imagination. And, uh, both Suga and Wally Wood are great, great artists. And, uh, you know, uh, uh, Suga Sensei is still with us. And, um, his work is coming out. And, uh, it's very, very striking. Very, very powerful. Um, and I urge you to seek it out. Good. Well, speaking right. of. European Sojourn. Yes, yeah. that was it. So, <laughs> yes, but wait, but Calvin, we're really not talking about what's interesting. I mean, how was the food? Well, the food was great. So, you know, no, <laughs> First of all, the first night we were there, uh, and I should say the drinking was pretty good yeah. too. Ivanka took us to her favorite bar uh, in um, Bologna, which is basically a student ha- uh, haunt in the old streets. I mean, this is a classic old European streets where the you know the there are cars in Bologna, but you know the streets just barely accommodate <laughs> right, them. Right. And then there are some streets that they just can't navigate at all. Being you know, like Venice is like that, obviously. But uh, we went. She took us to some back. She seems to know where every student bar <laughs> uh, in Old Bologna is because it's great because it's the uh, there's the meat. Bologna is known for its oh meats, well, it's bologna. And, and I guess there must be a relation. The meat bologna, uh, the bolognese. Uh, oh, bolognese! Uh, Ooh, the rego. Uh, <laughs> oh, it's uh, and, and pasta, and oh. uh, it's it really delicious, and so. You have places that have really tasty food, of course, and then the Prosecco float, oh, and the yes. people get glasses, and you go out and stand in the street and talk. So uh, it was an absolutely delightful time. Uh, the Bologna Fair took us to dinner at a different restaurant every night. Of course. Um, I can't tell you, uh, you know, uh, people keep asking me if it was hard work, and the only response <laughs> I have is nice work if you can get it. Well, that's that's well well earned, Calvin. Well earned. Uh, I mean, we were uh, we had native guides everywhere we went, so we got to you know we didn't have anything too like super fancy. At least I didn't. Where'd you stay? Uh, well, were you in the chateau? Or yes, we were. Situation? We were in an, in Karen's chateau. I don't uh, think oh, you've ever right. stayed there. Yeah, at right. at uh, which is in. Uh, 
Oh, it's not, it's, it's right outside Angoulême. I mean, you could walk to the festival, but it's up a very, very steep hill. And uh, Emmanuel Macron, the president of France, was there ah. the morning we arrived. And guess what? Wow. Whoa. That created havoc. Oh, and yeah. so oh. we, instead of being able to take the, the stairs that are like a stairmaster, we had to take this very steep hill that was like a deathmaster. And, um. <laughs> Get your work out. Yeah. Here. And so Macron <laughs> made headlines because, uh. He went? He went, and it's the year of the graphic novel. The graphic novel ah. is the art form of the year in France. Oh, kind of like, you know, Pantone has the color of the year. They have the art form of the year. <laughs> I love it. Uh, Only the French. Right. So he <laughs> is incredibly unpopular, I was told, by the French right. folks that I spoke with. Um, and uh, at one, he went to lunch with a bunch of cartoonists and publishers, including uh, Trondheim ah. was there. Uh, Catherine Maurice, who was a Grand Prix nominee, oh. uh, and a bunch of others, um, Enki Bilal. And then this oh, one wow. kind of, um, firebrand, uh, had, uh, it's kind of hard to explain, but, uh, we'll try to get a photo of it. So, um, it's like the symbol of the Angolan Festival is like, is this cat, Fauve, right? Mm-hmm. Designed by Trondheim. But because of all the protests in France and the yellow jackets, which are yeah, these bullets. The yellow that, vest on. <laughs> right. But no, no, it was like because they've been using these bullets that they say don't hurt people, but they've actually been blinding people. Right. So Fav had a bloody oh, eye. And no. then instead of saying BD Angoulême, it said LBD Angoulême, which is a reference to these bullets. So Macron was standing there holding up the t-shirt and smiling. <laughs> and then just like in America, the police said he is being, you know, for police violent, you know, violence against the police. He's anti-law and order. So it was... Because the hell of a t-shirt. Right. Because, so it was uh, on... That first day of the festival, it was you the, just can't win. You can't, but it was the lead story oh, on man. all the French media. You know, front page of Le Monde and uh, everywhere. So yeah, Macron definitely made his feelings. Uh, uh, you know, <laughs> he, made he, he, made, he made headlines. <laughs> he made headlines when he went to Angoulême. Yes. Um, yeah, you know, our, our, I was going to say we had native guides. Uh, you know, I'd never been to Germany before, and who knew their baking is insane there? Their bread. <laughs> It's like a crispy crust, and inside it's like gossamer. Yeah, well, I've never had anything like it. And uh, of course, the pretzels and the mustard and the oh, it was amazing. Yeah. Uh, and then our our friend Nazali Kajurgen from oh, Europe yes. Comics, she yeah, took yeah. us to yes. to in, yes. in Brussels. We went to a completely local, characteristic place. Uh, I had the mules, the mussels is the yeah. best I've ever had, and it yeah. was you know this is more like a local place, but oh my god. Yeah. So good. Yeah. So anyway, yeah, food, Europe, food-wise, uh, very good. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, okay. So we, sorry you couldn't be with yeah, us. Yeah, <laughs> sorry you couldn't be with us. All right, you know what? We better move on because yeah. so much else is happening. Oh, my God. Yeah, Let's yeah, keep yeah. chugging along. Chug, yeah. chug, chug, okay, chug, we have chug, a lot see? to talk about. Okay, so you guys, for months I've been hinting and warning about the coming of 5G this yes. new DC thing that's happening. And guess what? It is happening. It's here. But it is not called 5G, as we knew it wouldn't be, because uh, that's a, a phone technology, and <laughs> yes, DC is owned by AT&T, and they probably did probably like, someone told them, that's a phone technology. No, it's not funny. So it's, it's just confusing. So it's, and hard to Google. It's called Generation 1, and uh, but there are five generations. I'm just going to read them, and then I'm going to let you guys. There is, Kate, I'm sure you have a lot of feelings about this. There is Generation 0, but then there are Generation 1, Age of Mystery. Because there are different ages. There's uh, the age, generation one is the age of mysteries. Generation two is the age of the metahuman. Generation three, the age of crisis. 
Generation Four, the Age of Rebirth. Okay, so those are obviously references to Crisis on Infinite yeah. Earth and Rebirth, uh, two recent, you know, or historic DC re- re- reboots. And then Generation Five, the Age of Dandadio. I mean, no, the Age <laughs> of Tomorrow. So, so the woo. question is, is Generation Five set in the future, and will we hop back and forth between Generation Five and now, or not? That's the question. Well, I've been abroad, so I haven't had, and also, uh, uh, you know, based on things that Kate and I were talking about last time we were together on the podcast, I'm you know, completely clueless. Yeah, so I've been working I'm on my own thing, so I don't know. Well, I mean, it's, it's I just not got really clear release. because the press releases is like a whole bunch of questions. What was the previously undocumented Big Bang of the Age of Mysteries? What character truly ushers in the dawn of superheroes, inspiring all the rest? Which Golden Age hero will become history's greatest villain? Who are the new, never-before-seen wildcards that will be instrumental in fashioning DC's push to the future? So yeah. basically... I think it will be Tom King and Scott Snyder. Yeah, for I mean, 3 dollars can... to five ninety nine, yeah. you two could find out. Yeah. Although Generation Zero will be free if you get it on free comic book day. I, I really do genuinely hate and have ever since I started encountering these when you had to specially mail order them in special plastic bags. Um, the idea of issue zero of anything where like you get the, you know that if it really mattered, that if they actually cared, it would be issue one. <laughs> but they need something to be the special giveaway or to in some way like be fake special so that they can have two things that are special, one and zero. So then there's zero, there's issue zero, and you're just like, oh, God, issue zero. It's usually forgettable. Yeah. Well, um, uh, you know, Kate, we, we, you and I had, uh, Jeff Johns walk us, uh, give us yes. a private tour, remember? That was a Gave us a private tour episode. of Rebirth. Yeah. So we should reach out to Dan DeDio and see if he'll give us a private I would, tour. I would the, love to have a private the, tour. You know, Dan, if you're listening, um, Kate yeah, and Alex. That was a great episode. Would love to. It was a wonderful episode. Would love to have you give them a, you know, yeah. a private tour. So. Yeah. I mean, I'm, I'm open <laughs> to, to the possibility. That. I yeah. just want to know what it is. More yeah. Yeah. And yeah. press releases are great. This one sure has, you know, gotten the art of the leading question. But uh, I really would like to know more before I pass any judgment because I'm not going to go the hot takes route on something I don't even know is coming out in uh, yeah, May. I uh, I'd be curious. I mean, literally, this press release just came out, and uh, again, I have not been following the story, but I would be very curious to see if it's you know got the people talking. Well, let's see how our story. I know we just run a story. Let's see how the traffic is on that story. That's usually a good. But uh, yeah, anyway, it's happening. DC's rebooting again. Generation One mysteries. History's greatest villain. Uh, you know, age of crisis. Can you take it? Yes, we can. <laughs> you know, can I just throw in something that I forgot to mention? No. About the winners, just one quickly. the uh, The creator of the uh, the, the uh, middle grade winner in Batavla is Pascal Jusselin. You guys talked about uh, a new comics company. Uh, they call themselves Bad Idea, yes. but of course, 
we're hoping that you know maybe that won't actually. That's be the right. Case. Well, I, I, you know, actually, our last episode we talked to Hunter Gordon, so the publisher mm-hmm. of Bad Idea. So we've covered it pretty extensively. But yeah. I, I thought it would be fun for the three of us just to, you know, they've talked about their twenty comic shop distribution model. I thought it'd be fun for us just to, you know, weigh in a bit on. Well, yeah. On why don't what we actually we talk about it as opposed to having interview with them? Yes, which was good too, but a separate thing. Yes. So what do you think? It's bad ideas. Idea a bad idea. <laughs> Well, well, we're gonna find. I out think they knew <laughs> when they called it bad, I- bad idea. I mean, they did that very deliberately. Let's put it that way. Yeah, um, I mean, they were trying to get out ahead of the press. Let's put it that way. You know, I was talking again to an unnamed industry insider earlier today, and we've seen. Um, uh, let's see, who else has? Oh, TKO Comics had a very yeah. unusual yes. distribution model. I mean, I guess AWA is doing something a little funky. And guess what? If you were just to step out and say, hey, we're publishing comics, and they're going to come out every month at uh, your comic shop, but nobody would really give a hootie pooty or a binkledy-boop. And when you come out and say, hey, we're doing something really weird, and, and then, if, you know what? It gets everybody talking. It well, really sure. does. Why not? Sure. And also, it's worthwhile experimenting because you have to have something that sets you apart from every other publisher out there. And there have been plenty of publishers that don't really have a brand identity. And unless they have an amazing book, they tend not to live very long. Well, that's I think that's key. I mean, it's great to have, um, you know, a... uh a provocative idea that triggers will it have staying power in the marketplace and will it attract readers? I mean, I, I don't know. I know one thing that that clearly sets them apart is they've got great creators. Yes. I mean, from the list that I've seen, it's pretty impressive. Uh, they've obviously, uh, the people running the company are very experienced comics, com- uh, comics people. Um, and this is highly eccentric the way that, I mean, this is eccentric even in comparison to TKO, it seems to me. Mm-hmm. Um, but we'll see how uh, it goes on. I, I noticed at the end of the podcast, uh, you did mention, well, if Calvin was here, he'd be asking you all about <laughs> no book collections. And indeed, uh, that would be what I would be doing. Okay. Um, I mean, I personally think that this is a kind of an early strategic move. Uh, I don't understand why you would collect a series of material and not offer it in any other well, like, way. I think you noticed that one of the things that Hunter said, as he was saying, no digital, no collection, but he he did say, I said, one thing you didn't say was no reprints. Mm-hmm. And he said, that's correct. Uh-huh. So, you know, I think if something sells out at these 20 stores, then they're going to, you know, they're going to print a lot of them and have more available. Well, so are mean, they going to sell some through their website? In, in the comics world. Because... I mean, my first thought was that there are you. Is this another collectibles in the you know oriented? I, I think, I think I know why they're doing it. Hmm? I think they're doing it so they can distribute themselves. Well, because if it's only twenty comic shops, they can just pop them in a box and mail it to those twenty comic sure. shops. Totally cut out the middleman. Although, as I understand it, they're going to increase the number of stores over time. So I'm going to say this: I have a little bit of inside information that I'm sworn to not. Um, real, but there is more to come on this bad idea story. Okay, there's some maybe secret partners out there. Okay, well, that's the one thing I was curious about. Did he talk anything about, uh, you know, how they're capitalized? I mean, uh, self investment investors. There are some secret investors. So, in other words, all of you know. So, in other words, bad idea is better at foreshadowing than the last Star Wars movie. Uh huh. Okay, good. I mean, I, 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 it seems that they're at a, at a point now where they're just trying to create interest, generate, you know, sort of sense of mystery. 
but also, you know, um, just excitement about just what the heck is going on. Well, here. this is the third podcast in a row we've talked about them, so I guess it's working. It's working like a charm. So, so yeah, you know what? So, but yeah. I wanted to. We're actually They're not publishing books, and I want to write a story uh, about them. So we're running a little <laughs> short on time. So, uh, Calvin, you had two great stories about other publishers who are publishing collections, and I wanted you to talk about them a little bit. Sure. So happy to do so. Um, uh, first off, uh, our, another friend of the show, Rob Salkowitz, actually did sat down and had a, a really great um, interview with Sven Larson, mm-hmm. um, who is did it, what is it? He's a new director of license published for Marvel, and essentially he is kind of overseeing the trade book programs. And they they sat down and talked about the the wide range of uh, offerings that Marvel is doing uh, in the book trade. And and that ranges from um, uh, a, a very recent deal that they signed with Scholastic, uh, basically to turn uh, their you know the, the iconic list of Marvel superheroes into YA uh, and I think no excuse me and YA and I think uh, middle grade prose uh, adaptation mm-hmm. real prose novels starring superheroes. In fact, the one that's out right now uh, is based on Shuri. From Black Panther, and it's written by the wonderful novelist Nick Stone, uh, who is a woman, by the way, and <laughs> many. Um, but also, what they're doing, and they're really focused on diversity and inclusion as well. So, um, you know, Miss Marvel is uh, uh, Miles Morales are a big part of their programs. They talked about Marvel Select, the hardcover selections, and how they play out in the book trade, uh, how they're meant to introduce you know the Marvel characters. Uh, to newcomers to the business. No, I, you know, I just, I just urge everyone to actually go read the article. Yes. Um, because, I mean, many, many times on this podcast, we talk about Marvel and their book program, and we're just like, you know, I mean, they don't really talk to the press. So this is, yeah. you know, a little J.D. Salinger also. No, uh, just, I, I wanted to throw this in here, because while uh, at Angoulême, in the big publisher tent, uh, we walked by the... Urban Comics, I believe it was Urban Comics. Uh, anyway, they publish a lot of big two Marvel and superhero, Marvel and DC books, and they had uh, this beautiful set of hardcover uh, books. Like it would be Doctor Strange, and inside would be ten different stories about Doctor Strange from the beginning with Steve Ditko to the latest, yeah. and you know Black Panther with same thing, the earliest. Like it was a beautiful. Each volume was a wonderfully compiled. Snapshots, uh, like just a a uh, anthology of stories about these characters from their greatest eras, uh, all of them in French, and nothing like that exists in the United States in English. I mean, Marvel does not. And the 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 dude I was talking to, the guy at the booth, and he was saying that they sell very well, and they, you know, they sell them at bookstores, well, comic know, shops. And, there is um, Marvel king size editions, and these these started I think last year, and there's more to come, and they seem to be modeled after the idea of yes. IDW. Oversized. Uh, yeah, but that's not, you know, these are mm, 20 euro. I mean, yeah, they're I like see. 25. These are, um, reg, it's, it, I've, I've been pushing this for years actually. Uh, they are just a beginner. Like if you hear the introduction book. Yes. Uh-huh. Like, and then you learn who Steve Ditko is and who Jack Kirby is and, and who Christopher Priest is. Yeah. You know, I mean, what a great idea. And, uh, so anyway, I mean, they're, uh, but I, I know, Sven is a very, very smart publisher. Yes. So I wouldn't be surprised if Marvel eventually gets yes, them. Yes, and he's well, uh, very experienced in the book trade. Yes. Sorry. One other thing that Marvel's doing that I think is very interesting is that they're they're creating these uh, trade books that collect 
number one issues, and they're going to start with Jonathan Hickman's Dawn of X titles. So they're going to have books with all of the number one issues on them, So because uh, they, they see a demand in the marketplace. And they also talk about Marvel Unlimited and how that affects the rest of the things they do. Now, very quickly, um, Ten Speed Press, which is an imprint in uh, of Penguin Random House in the Crown section, they also um, have been building a list over the year. In 2014, they published the comic book story of beer. Uh, of beer. And it, <laughs> they, it, it did really well. So 40,000 copies. Um, and what they've done is they've gone all in. They've even found a way to really, uh, in this case, to, to ramp up uh, adult graphic novel publishing by doing cookbooks. They have a cook Korean uh, graphic novel by, uh, by Robin Ha. They've got a Let's uh, Make Ramen. And more importantly, they do biographies. They have David Walker's, they published David Walker's Life of Frederick Douglass, and they're doing The Life of Jack Kirby later this year by Tom Scioli. Uh, They built a a list um, uh, of graphic novels and uh, and adaptations from The Jungle, which actually was translated by Ivanka Honigberg. Right, of course. And they're also launching an adaptation they're just announcing of Watership Down by Richard Adams, the multi-million So the headline here is another mainstream publisher uh, jumping in on graphic novels. That's hardly even a headline at this point. They're predicting eight uh, to ten titles a year. So uh, (laughs) this is just another look at how the trade book is accommodating this category. So take it away. So, um, listeners, I wouldn't say this is a correction. It's more in the nature of an apology. Episode... 406, the beat goes on. Um, we had some technical difficulties of a most ridiculous and embarrassing <laughs> variety. Not only uh, because we had some equipment failures, did we have to record with bare bones equipment and was the sound quality not as good as usual, but the um, static took the form of embarrassing noises. <laughs> so I had to spend an extra two hours oh. trying to clean out the embarrassing noises. But unfortunately, <laughs> if you listen closely, I wasn't able to filter out all the static entirely. So sometimes it might make you giggle. We are very sorry. Wow. And we regret yeah. the error. You know, I rarely listen to my own podcast, but now I gotta hear this. Well, hopefully I cleaned it out enough but you know i i did my best but you can only fix so much in post dear listeners so try to get it right the first time let that be a lesson to us all so okay so we are almost out of time here so kate uh so anyway i mean we have a lot we've caught up on a lot of stuff you know what next time we're going to be together again uh i hope i better check their schedule but uh and then we'll we have more we'll catch up on more next time we gather um, um, are we going to be talking about Birds of Prey at that time? Uh, oh, that's right. Yeah, maybe I'll try and see it. Yeah. Well, well, just real quick. We, I, I think Birds of Prey. We have something Prey, we can talk about without even having seen it. Yes. I, I think, uh, well, <laughs> how, yeah, you, Kate hasn't seen it, right? I have not seen it. I wish to see it. And Calvin has not seen it, I haven't right? seen it, but I want to see it too. I I'm saw a, it. I'm a Quinn fan. So what, tell what, why don't we table Birds of Prey till next time? Right. But I think we should mention the, uh, title issue. So, the original title of this movie is quite a mouthful, and it is Birds of Prey and the Fantabulous Emancipation of One Harley Quinn. Fantabulous, Fantabulous Emancipation of One Harley Quinn is, is a fun subtitle. It's a fun subtitle. But the thing is, making the title of your Harley Quinn movie Birds of Prey, not putting Harley Quinn's name <laughs> first, might confuse people slightly especially comics readers because while this movie appears to have much to recommend it 
and I have been anticipating it gleefully since I heard it announced. As a reader of the comic Birds of Prey, this has nothing in common with Birds of Prey other than the fact the main characters are women and it's set in Gotham. I mean, Birds of Prey is an awesome comic about a bunch of female superheroes and does not feature Harley Quinn in any way. Mm -hmm. And this is a Harley Quinn movie. So I can see that people might have been a little confused. But the funny thing is that Warner Marketing didn't figure this out until the movie had been out for a week. So, uh, you know, you know there was somebody at Warner Brothers who at every marketing meeting was like, guys, I don't think we should use that. We should call it Harley Quinn, Birds of Prey. And that person was, uh, you know, shouted down, shouted down over and over and over again. So I hope that person is taking a victory lap right. Well, you know what? Like I said, we don't even have time to go into this. I've learned some behind the scenes about Warner Brothers in DC, but, uh, you know, uh, Kate and Calvin, um, uh, some, uh, go see it quickly. Don't, I I want to see it. Don't delay because it might not be out there too long. Yeah. <laughs> okay. I want to see it so we But it's really enjoyable. Listen, I, I went and saw it in Screen X, which is where the sides of the theater are oh. are I'd never seen a movie in Screen X before. Uh it was really nice, delightful. I thought the film was delightful and Margot Robbie uh, as Robbie is delightful. Um there's so many women's you know, it is a movie for women. I mean, yeah. I don't think it's anti-male, but uh yeah. women will get so many of the jokes in there. Yeah. Women director? Yes, well. Kathy yeah. Yen. Yes, yeah. and woman so, writer. Yeah. Um, I will say that given that it's Harley Quinn with Margot Robbie, I think the gentlemen in the audience will find something to appeal to them as well. Word up. So, you know, this is a, <laughs> a four quarters hitting movie. So, yeah, and you know, just, I mean, the, the word on the street was out there uh, at noon on Friday that this was a box office flop and it made $33 million and it's being called a flop, you know, and then so what today, was the budget? but today people came out and pointed out that Ford v. Ferrari, a movie I loved, by the way, came out and made $31 million and was hailed as a success. So, you know, the, the, the women must always work yeah. so well, much harder and do it backwards and in high heels. Well, yeah. to be fair, you have to look at the budgets of the two, the two movies. The budgets are exactly the same. Oh, wow. Well, in <laughs> that case, if the budgets are the same, then Bird, they're full of crap. Birds of Prey it's, was it's made for it's, only $86 yeah. million. Dollars. They did not spend $200 million to make this movie. Yeah. And if they spent equivalent amount of Ford v. Ferrari, then yeah, no, people need to shut up. Yeah. Yeah. So. So, it's time to go to the briefs. First off, we have in the how did this get made, or rather, <laughs> how did this get distributed column, we have the anime interspecies reviewers. Now, here's the thing. It's one of those things where you're like, well, they have a point, but they should have seen it coming. Interspecies <laughs> reviewers is an anime about men having sex with monster girls, and then writing Yelp-type reviews about the experience of having sex with different varieties of monster girls. And, yeah, no kidding, it's basically hentai. And so Funimation bought the rights to this, and then were shocked, shocked at what they got, and discontinued streaming after, like, three episodes of it being basically hentai. Um, <laughs> you know, it kind of said what it was on the box. So, well, on one hand, I, I understand why they wouldn't want to screen hentai. I don't know why they screened it in the first place if they didn't want to screen hentai. But this has caused 
a fiara online with many very unhappy interspecies reviewers fans saying, oh, how, how dare you no longer show us our <laughs> saga of monster reviewing. So, yeah, that's all very interesting. Dear Funimation, if you want to send a representative to uh, more to come and explain <laughs> what exactly the thought process was behind this brilliant business decision. Um, please, let us know. We're curious. So, here's the thing. We have a less funny oops in the world of anime and manga. In this case, My Hero Academia. And in this case, it's uh less funny. So, guys, Google your character names before you come up yeah. with them. Just to make sure that they're uh, not references to war crimes. So, My Hero Academia added a villain whose name was originally Maruda Shiga. <laughs> um, but here's the thing. Maruda was the code name for human experimentation by the Imperial Japanese Army in World War II. It's the name. It's so frequently people refer to this enormous war crime against hundreds, maybe thousands of people as Maruda. And so they gave the villain that name and it was, how should we put this? Insensitive if you know what it was and unforgivably ignorant if you didn't know what it was. Um, So he's now been renamed um, and in new versions the character will always have been named something different. So now he's Kudai Garaki instead of uh, Maruda Shiga. And at least the uh, creator apologized and said he had not intended to reference this war crime. And he's very sorry and they won't do it again. You know, sensitivity readers or listeners is, is, is <laughs> kind of not the best name for something. But you know what? Just check it out. Yeah. You know what? Ask a friend. Turn That's to your friend Google and say, now just right. say Google, you know, put like, like create a burner account on Twitter and see what happens. <laughs> yeah. Or, or alternately, how about this? How about if you work at a publisher <laughs> and someone names their character the equivalent of Holocaust Jones? <laughs> You give him a heads up. I'm sorry, I'm laughing because it's funny that that Holocaust joke. You just just give him a heads up that maybe you should change the name. Possibly. Yeah, or that that new Spider-Man villain gas chamber, you know. Yeah, you know, just just maybe not, right? Don't do it. Don't do it. And um, let that be a lesson to us all. Yeah. So, oh man, I'm spent. Yeah, well, we jammed it all in, didn't we? I am spent. (laughs) Wow. Well, but but you know, now that we're reunited, uh, there's going to be more to come. Okay, guys. Something went binkledy boop. I don't know if it's somebody's phone. I don't know if notification on your iPod or iPad, but like. Whatever's going binkledy boop, please stop it from doing that again. I won't. Thank you. It was my iPad. It went binkledy boop. I think you need to leave that in because binkledy boops are good. <laughs> the actual binkledy boop or me talking about binkledy boops? I think you're talking about the binkledy boops. Okay.